0: Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, locations manager Bruce Brownstein joins me to talk about the accidental shooting of a prop gun and the tragic loss of a young mother and brilliant cinematographer on a film set in New Mexico. And how can people move on from that tragedy? Mark Smith joins me to tell you how. Also, did you know that 17% of Canadians suffer with atopic dermatitis? Dr. Jaggi Rao joins me to discuss the latest treatment options. Plus, how do you take your sex life from meh to marvelous? Tiffany Yelverton, sex coach and mentor to high-powered couples, describes exactly how you can. I'm Maureen McGrath. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's health headline. If you've been paying attention at all to the news and uh, the Union negotiations. The film and TV crews have been in negotiations and reached a tentative deal last Sunday that is yet to be ratified by ATSI union members. And yet, this week, a tragic death on set that has serious safety concerns surrounding that incident shows just what is at stake with that union contract. Joining me on the line is locations manager Bruce Brownstein. He's been working in the industry for quite some time now. Good evening, Bruce.
1: Good evening, Maureen. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, just, just great. Good, good. Tough week this week for the film and television industry, especially crew members who have been fighting for longer rest periods, safer sets. We have uh, Alex Baldwin, who fired a prop gun on the New Mexico set of the film Rust on Thursday, and he tragically and accidentally killed 42-year-old Helena Hutchins and also wounded director Joel Souza. Uh, who was standing behind Helena Hutchins. Uh, Sousa has been released from the hospital, just to report that. But, um, you know, it has um, been reported that the um, director who handed that prop gun, we've got lo- so much to talk about here, um, you know, but one thing is that the director who handed that prop gun has had uh, safety complaints, especially around weapons on set in the past, um, Where do I begin? Let's begin with uh, props, (laughs) Uh, a prop gun. I think a lot of people are thinking, how can somebody be injured by a prop gun?
1: Well, you know, there are different kinds of prop guns on that particular movie because it was a period movie. They're using old looking firearms. And, you know, in the in the simplest way, a prop gun is a, a regular gun, but it's set up to fire with blanks instead of projectiles. And it sounds like uh, on that particular movie, there might not have been a lot of experience in the people handling the guns or uh, the armorer. And for some reason or other, they made a terrible mistake and allowed a, a live round to be part of their inventory. And it was in that gun and inadvertently got fired. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible mistake. Um, you know, it's, it's something that everyone... Since going back to the, the Westerns, has tried to avoid something like this ever happening. And unfortunately, it has happened.
0: I know, it, it's just so tragic. Um, you know, you have worked uh, not only as a locations manager, but also in COVID compliance. As FI, um, we understand about development of and adherence to and compliance with policies and protocols it doesn't sound like the protocols were f- being followed there and also there have been complaints where we were hearing little bits about uh safety meetings were not being held how important are safety meetings on film sets you
1: know the whole um the whole the whole movie is kind of like it's engineering you rely on protocol you rely on organization to do everything from Uh, have lunch and breakfast to make sure that you have safety, whether people are using lifts, ladders, uh, face protection for dust, or uh, props uh, that can fire on set. In this instance, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about what's going on on that movie. There seems to have been an issue about money. Um, The union crew um, had started to walk and complain, and a lot of the uh, experienced props people in New Mexico were not available to do that movie, or the what was being offered was too low, and they chose not to do it. So you ended up with inexperienced people who might not have known how to do it as safely as they should, or had the the methodology. The you know it's really like my I take the gun from my right hand to my left hand, and in between I look in the barrel and I make sure there's nothing there. It's it's as simple as that but mistakes can be made. And it just sounds like maybe there is a little inexperience or propensity to try and hire the least expensive person possible, which meant you weren't going to get necessarily the best person possible or the most experienced
0: person. Right. And you make a great point. I I know that there are safety issues and that's why uh, the, Union in the U.S. recently voted to like 97 or 98 percent to voted to strike. But a a deal was reached at the at the 11th hour pretty much last weekend because it was around safety conditions. Uh, As you and I know, people work on film sets 15, 17 hours a day. Sometimes then they're commuting back to where they live. One of the issues was uh, a ten-hour rest period. The union members wanted a longer rest period, but that doesn't seem to be in the um, the agreement that has not yet been ratified by the union. How, fatigue on a film set, substance use on film sets, um, you know, irritability, mood, lots of anxiety, depression. I mean, when people are exhausted not getting enough sleep, trying to deal with their issues, using substances. How much do you think just in general, not necessarily on that set, but in general, that contributes to an unsafe set and how important is it for people to get adequate rest time? So 10 hours, for example, let me just give you an example. If you have a 10 hour turnaround means you've finished perhaps at eight o'clock at night and you're not expected to come back till six o'clock the next morning, but you might have an hour commute. So that really cuts your ability to go home, have something to eat, take a shower, go to bed. You might be sleeping four, if you can go to sleep. A lot of people suffer with insomnia. Um, And so people might be getting three, four, five hours a night. Is that the kind of thing, like how important is that? Did, Did this incident underscore how critical safety is um, in terms of also health and safety and self-care of the members of the union?
1: You know, I, I don't think this is an example of that. Um, it, the business is not for everyone. You know, the how you explain the 10-hour turnaround, it, it's because it, you're not going to an office that's the same or a factory that's the same every day. You could be going from one end of the city to the other opposite from where you live at any given time and you could be working days you could be working nights it it's not for everyone if you thrive on that kind of um unusual atmosphere if uh in your 10th hour you suddenly come alive and you want to do great work then it maybe it's for you i have seen over the years people say you know what this is not for me i'm going to do something else and they and they do it's never going to be a factory job or an office job for most of the people that are doing it. The thing is, it's temporary. You pick up a job and you do it, whether it's for four months, six months, ten months, whatever it is, depending on the size of the picture, and then you're done. And you can do whatever you want in your free time. If it's recover from the hours or jump on another picture, it's, it's up to you. But I don't think this is an example of that. I think this is an example of um, not having enough money, and enough crew, and enough trained crew, to do the job properly.
0: Uh, the one thing, though, there there was um, people were complaining. Some of the crew members were complaining. In fact, some of the camera operators walked off on the Monday morning um, because they were promised uh, hotel rooms in the next town over. But instead, they were told by um, you know by the production that they were not going to have their hotel rooms covered, and they did in fact have to make the hour commute back and forth, adding effectively two hours to their day um, you know how much then does trouble on a set as you said this is like an engineering project this is and and I 've worked on film as well it goes quickly and that 's why everything has to be so organized and just engineered to perfection and you 've seen people just run it like a, you know like a Swiss clock it just can run beautifully but it sounds like people were concerned about the safety meetings people were concerned about the long hours. Um, not the money, not getting compensated adequately or or being put up. How much that, with that whole collective scene, there were complaints about safety. How much do you think that would have contributed to any type of an incident on a film set?
1: You know, I I think every movie or TV job or whatever it is you're doing, it's it's a recipe. And a good producer, a, a studio if there is one, they... Choose their ingredients very, very carefully, because these are the people that are going to be in the trenches with you you for the next several months. And it really sounds like on this one, for the uh, producer or whomever said, you know, yes, you can stay in the town uh, close at hand and then said, no, you can't. Well, that's now you've changed the deal and the people you made the deal with have the opportunity to say, well, then we're not going to be part of this picture and it sounds like on this movie, there was a fair bit of that. The thing about New Mexico as a right-to-work state is that it's not a union state. The unions don't have full sway. So while they tried to hire a union crew, um, a lot of the union crew said, this is not good enough, what you're offering. It doesn't sound very attractive, and uh, we're going to pass. There's better work, and we don't have to do it. And it sounds like they ended up with a junior crew or you know, slightly better than amateurs um, that weren't necessarily even in the union yet.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks so much for being here with me this evening. We are talking about the tragic accident on a film set that occurred in New Mexico where Alec Baldwin fired a prop gun that killed a young mother, 42 years old, Helena Hutchins, and also Wounded Director Joel Souza. Bruce Brownstein, who has been a locations manager in the film industry for some time now, joins me on the line. We're talking about this. If you have any questions at all, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. If you have any comments uh, whatsoever about this tragic accident. Uh, Bruce, thanks for staying on the line with me. Appreciate it. Um, you mentioned people will work together for four, six, eight months at a time to create and produce a film. They're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week at times, sometimes six and seventh days as well. They get to know each other pretty well. And especially if they work go from one film to the next, they become almost a, a work family. How would a tragedy like this affect the film crew? I mean, this particular film, Rust, has shut down. How would it affect uh, people who are working in such close proximity for such a, a long time? Uh, what would the impact be?
1: Well, I think you'd never get over it. You know, um, I love Alec Baldwin. I think uh, he's an interesting, caring uh, person. And um, he and everyone involved in this is going to be scarred for life. You know, it's, you don't go to work that day thinking that somebody's going to die while you're at work. And I don't think anyone on that crew, no matter um, what their level of experience or years of uh, service, expected um, or was willfully negligent to allow something like this to happen. It's um, you know a, a, a safety breach is usually something that is inconsequential or it's it's a it's a rounding of the corner when it comes to the rules about how to do things safely and over the years i mean Vancouver's a great example vancouver's film industry took off in the late 80s and from day one uh workers compensation board didn't know what to do with us because there's so many different kinds of trades and skills and and, and unusual events happening on a film set but you know now and because of all those years of learning and um and honing the the rules Vancouver has a really um, good, strong uh, method of um, maintaining safety on a set um, with weapons or lifts or trucks or ladders or all sorts of things. You you don't have as many accidents in the film industry, given the unusual activity, um, as you do in a lot of other industries. These people, Absolutely. they're never going to be the same. The guy who handed him the gun, the assistant director who never should have been involved in handling the gun, Uh, you know, how's he ever going to live through this?
0: No, I I don't know. It's a massive responsibility to be an assistant director who's responsible for the safety on the set. Um, And then, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's just absolutely tragic. Well, Bruce Brownstein, locations manager, thank you so much for joining me this evening and, and giving us some insight on this tragic accident. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Stay safe out there. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk to you about uh, a skin condition, specifically atopic dermatitis. I didn't realize that 17% of Canadians suffer from this skin disease, which can come and go. It involves intense, uncontrolled itching, dry skin that can become cracked, hardened, oozing, and painful, and that it is a chronic disease that can have a significant impact on quality of life. Joining me on the line to dig deeper into this skin condition is the Edmonton-based dermatologist, Dr. Jaggi Rao. Good evening, Dr. Rao. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you so much for joining me tonight.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. So I've learned a little bit about atopic dermatitis uh, since uh, realizing that, you know, since having you come on the show. And um, there is so much that I didn't realize about it. But November is Eczema Awareness uh, Month. And atopic dermatitis is commonly referred to e- referred to as eczema. Is that correct? How do we differentiate yes. from those?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so eczema is basically part of uh, atopic dermatitis. Uh, the names can be interchangeable. The word eczema literally means a boiling over. And uh, indeed, if you have an acute uh, dermatitis, it can be like that. It can be quite wet, and it looks like your skin is weeping. But most of the time, it's it's quite dry. Uh, the, the wetness just uh, lasts for maybe a few days, and then after that, it gets quite dry. So we just use the term atopic dermatitis as the umbrella term for these conditions.
0: Interesting. I have seen people, you know, I have known people who have had eczema, Um, And, you know, it's an embarrassing condition. It can be debilitating for them. It, you know, it can feel like they might want to cover up their arms or, um, you know, other parts of their body. It can actually affect intimate lives, I would imagine. Um, Yes, and it also affects
2: caregiver lives as well. So the people who take care, especially with children, it can be quite debilitating for the caregivers too.
0: Right. You know, it just brings me back to when one of my kids was a baby and he had, it it must have, it was eczema (laughs) and it was under his eyes and it was around his mouth and then it went down his neck and I would have him in the a uh, shopping cart at the supermarket, and people would think he was crying. <laughs> yeah. No, the mother the mother was crying. The child was not crying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it <Yeah>. was very
2: <laughs> you know you know extremely uncomfortable, extremely um, painful at times, and sometimes you can even get super uh, infections on top of the eczema. And for caregivers, it it can mean you know nights of no sleep. I, I agree, and and daytime uh, problems as well. So it's very difficult all around.
0: You know, I mean, it was, it was devastating. I have to say, you know, it it was devastating for me. And because you have this beautiful baby and, and (laughs) and you're just constantly obsessed with this skin condition that they have. And I remember (laughs) one night I was of course, taking him off to, I went to a naturopath and they wanted to, uh, him to take this medication that had alcohol in it. So I wasn't going to do that. You know what? I went to one doctor and then a dermatologist. And I remember, I was at a dinner party, and the dermatologist called and said, "You know, can you come and see me now in my office?" And 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 it was actually a message that was given to me. And um, and then the dermatologist said, "And tell her to bring her husband." Like I thought, I'm sure he thinks I'm a psych case. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> because no, I was, that's... I was a wreck, you know, and it just yeah. was something that just wasn't going away for Un- you know, Understandably
2: a so. We, we all care about our, our loved ones and our little ones and understandably so, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I can imagine for people, I mean, this is a chronic disease and that can have a significant yeah. impact on quality of life. That's just such a great point about the caregivers. And it's not just babies, it's maybe people who are caring for their mothers or their fathers. Yeah. Because they may That's be experiencing right. eczema as well.
1: Uh, ab-
2: absolutely. And, and, you know, nowadays when we uh, go ahead and evaluate the quality of life, we look at not just the patient, but also caregivers as well. And uh, fortunately, there's lots of great things that we can do and, and new forms of treatment. So this is the best time to have eczema, believe, believe it or not.
0: That's great. And um, so what are the causes of eczema?
2: So eczema, first of all, it's a tendency for one's uh, barrier to to break down. So the skin normally would keep good things in like water and bad things out, such as pathogens, uh, infections, for example, as well as irritants and allergens. But when your skin is broken down microscopically because of cracks, uh, perhaps started by dryness, maybe there's a genetic defect in the way that the the skin is formed uh, or the way that it maintains itself then uh, the the barrier function no longer is there. So that means that these bad things can get in and water can leave, making your skin even more dry. And then what happens is your immune system kicks in. And in fact, eczema is your immune system trying to protect you, creating a little bit of inflammation or what we call a firewall as a result of a defective barrier. And so the causes are, are both you know, the barrier itself is broken down. But the second is hyperimmunity. So your immune system is just very robust. And so there's a number of different triggers that can trigger a flare of eczema. For example, uh, anything that's uh, on the surface that might be irritating. Sometimes exposure to an allergen can cause your your skin to respond by inflammation. And uh, sometimes even a super infection like staph infection, staphylococcus aureus, that might cause uh, a flare to occur
0: hmm Very interesting. You know, I, I have a tendency toward allergies. I, I often thought that it was an allergy, but the other thing was for my particular case, and, and it's not all about me, doctor, really. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> no,
2: that's okay. <laughs> People will understand through the examples. I, I like that.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I did uh, attribute it to, um, to an allergy um, but also it was the only one of my children that I decided to breastfeed and it was the only child who got any type of allergy. And, you know, that's one of the things that, and I felt very ripped off. I have to say, I suffered through <laughs> right. breastfeeding, which, which is not easy in and of itself. And, um, right, and right. There, that one, the rest of them bottle fed, no allergies, beautiful skin, <laughs> Yeah, uh, no problem. J- j- just
2: rem- remember that the um, the allergen isn't the cause; it's just a trigger of it, right? So the cause is one, a defect in the barrier of the skin, and two, just hyperimmunity. Something has set off the immune system, so it's right. not so much a cause as it is a trigger.
0: Yeah, I've I've learned something tonight because I had always attributed it to that. Um, right. Yeah, so very interesting. So it's not necessarily uh, related to allergies.
2: Not, not necessarily. There can be irritants and there can be other stimuli mm-hmm. as well. Sometimes even people who um, who, who have strong emotions and, and their immune system is uh, elevated because of that and almost hyperimmune can develop mm-hmm. uh, an atopic dermatitis like picture.
0: Right. All right. So I'd always blame myself for that, but I guess uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm guilt free now. So which is great. Right. Um Yes. So how does this uh, manifest itself? We touched upon it a little right. bit, but how does it manifest? Right. What are the is, symptoms uh,
2: of it? Yeah. So so the biggest symptom is itch. So so you you're definitely going to have a lot of itch. Um, so remember, when your skin barrier is broken down, you're also going to have some dryness because water will escape. So water escapes causes dryness and then of course your immune system that's trying to protect you because the barrier is no longer intact will cause itchiness and then when you scratch of course you're going to create more uh, breakage of your skin so it just exacerbates that that whole irritation so irritation itching sometimes tenderness and pain sometimes weeping and then excessive dryness would be the the major signs and symptoms
0: right right and so those can just be and and can you have remission and exacerbation with eczema and atopic yeah, dermatitis? Yeah, that's
2: right. So, so it takes on like a waxing and, and waning course. So it's almost like wave pattern. When it's really bad, the skin, if you look at the skin, not, not only will it appear uh, initially quite wet and then dry, it'll also appear quite red and often look for scratch marks or what we call excoriations because that's a sign of itch.
0: Yes. I got, I've got a text here. I've got a couple of texts here. First, all, I want to yeah. read the first one. This the yeah, second yeah. one's for you. The first one's for us. Hello. Are you guys live tonight? Yes, we are live, aren't we, Dr. We Doctor certainly Rao. are, yes. Dr. Jaggi Rao joins me, and he is an Edmonton-based dermatologist, and we're talking about eczema, atopic dermatitis. Now, the second question here is what is the difference between rosacea and eczema? I like that question. That's from Derek. Yeah,
2: it's a good question. They're they're totally different. Uh, So eczema, we talked about, is a barrier defect of the skin. So usually the skin will have cracks and fissures microscopically, and then definitely that we can see visually. And then uh, that leads to an immune system elevation that, that results in redness, scaliness, and itch. Uh, whereas rosacea is a blood vessel disorder where the blood vessels, and typically it's going to be in the face. So the cheeks, forehead, nose, and chin, the blood vessels in the skin are dilated. They're bigger than what they should be, and they're a little bit more sensitive than what they should be. That causes a flushing, so a periodic redness when exposed to a number of different triggers like sun exposure and heat, cold, spicy foods, alcohol, chocolate, Things like that that would normally make anybody's red uh, face become a little bit redder. With rosacea, it'll become even more so quicker and longer lasting. And ultimately, if this continues for a long time, you'll have a permanently red face. So eczema is a little bit different. It's more dryness and irritation and itch, whereas uh, rosacea is more the redness. And sometimes they get pimples as well.
0: And I have another text message from Sally. She says, since I have been wearing a mask, I have been getting raised red bumps on my cheeks. Is this considered atopic dermatitis? They are not itchy.
2: Yeah, so if it's not itchy, it's probably not atopic dermatitis because itch is a cardinal feature there. It's probably either a little bit of rosacea or it might even be a little bit of what we call maskne or mask acne, which is very, very common because of the humidity. Uh, and sometimes bacteria can, can stay underneath a mask that can promote uh, pimple formation.
0: Oh, wow. I, I've actually seen that on people. And they're actually, they're rather round and larger than what, what pimples. They're like a yeah, crop they can be. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they
2: definitely can be. And they're very common right now because everybody's wearing masks.
0: Exactly. And so all the more reason to wear a mask, cover up your mask knee. Anyway, we've learned right. a new word tonight here. Although uh, you, don't can dr-
2: develop a, you, you can develop a, a mask-induced uh, eczema as well, just from the irritation that's there, not, not only from directly from mask wearing, but also even bacteria, can, as we talked about, can trigger eczema. And maybe even the exhalant, the things that we're, we're exhaling, like carbon dioxide, might be irritating the skin as well.
0: Right. I'm sure some people are more sensitive than others. Is that a true statement?
2: Very true. Oh, yes. Okay. Yep,
0: okay, all true. right. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. My guest is Dr. Jaggy Rao. He is an Edmonton-based dermatologist, and we are talking about and we are talking about atopic dermatitis, which is the umbrella term for eczema and other skin conditions. Atopic dermatitis is a chronic inflammatory skin disease characterized by intense, uncontrolled itching and other symptoms like dry skin, which becomes cracked, hardened, oozing, and painful. Thank you so much for staying on the line, Dr. Rao. We talked a little bit about the etiology of atopic dermatitis or eczema, and I, and I want to mention that November is Eczema Awareness Month. Uh, before we get to the treatments, what are, what's the most important thing? What are the key messages you want to get out there to people who are suffering with uh, eczema? We-
2: well, I think we one is that we understand a lot more about it now than we ever have. And then two is because of that, we have amazing treatments. And, and some of them aren't necessarily just medication. They're instructions on how to take care of your skin a little bit better with eczema.
0: Oh, well, that's fantastic. Um, now, is stress a contributing factor to eczema? Yeah, I believe it flare-ups? Is. Yeah.
2: I do think mm-hmm. that's the case because uh, if you're stressed, it'll alter your immune system. Sometimes it'll make you a little bit more sensitive to things that are around you, and, and it's a protection mechanism. So remember, eczema is totally a protection mechanism. It's your immune system trying to protect you because of a faulty barrier.
0: Exactly. Um, and what are some of the treatments?
2: So the, the way you can divide the treatments up into two ways. One of them is those that are directed towards the faulty barrier itself. And the second is going to be those that dampen the immune system. So a little bit of immune system attack and and, uh, protection is good, but too much of it can cause all of these signs and symptoms that we don't like. So some of our treatments, in fact, many of them that work really well are targeted at dampening the immune system. So those are the two major categories. And then in terms of delivery mechanisms, we can divide it either into topical or systemic, which means things that we take internally, either by uh, ingestion, so uh, oral, or sometimes even by injection.
0: And, and so dampening the immune system, can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit, please? Uh, yeah, sounds so, very so interesting.
2: yeah, you, you can dampen the immune system. Um, the, so the immune system is what is going there to, to your skin to try to protect it against uh, any kind of invader that's coming through a faulty uh, barrier. So examples would include pathogens such as infectious agents, bacteria, and so forth, irritants, as well as allergens. Normally, our skin would be able to repel those, but with a broken barrier, then these things are entering our skin, and then we need something else to fight them off. So that's where the immune system comes in. If the immune system is too aggressive, that can cause the redness the itch and and the breakdown of the skin that we've seen with eczema. That's why we need to dampen it. And we can do it either locally with uh, topical agents, so steroid creams and even non-steroidal creams that have less side effects, or we can go to either oral agents or even uh, injectable agents.
0: Okay, and so um, those will actually... And, and it, I think maybe some people, maybe their skin is crawling out there thinking in the time of COVID... Do I want to um, dampen my immune system? How much of a risk uh, is, that, You're right. is that related to Yeah, no, at all? <laughs> no, you,
2: 100%. You do have to think about that for sure. So some of the, the uh, things that we have, for example, steroids, you have to be a little bit more careful because they dampen all aspects of the immune system. Now, uh, in the past few years, I would say even 5 to 10 years, we've learned much more about the immune system than we ever have in the history of mankind So we know that there's actually different forms of the immune system. And it's not just, you know, we're dampening your immune system or we're not. There's different things that we can dampen. Uh, Steroids, for example, dampen almost all aspects of the immune system. And as a result, you have to be extraordinarily careful by using long-term steroids. Because if we dampen it too much, you're going to get lots of other potential side effects. It might leave you open to attack uh, with bacteria and viruses. So steroids, I would say, be extremely careful with. There are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that will dampen the immune system, not uh, having the same side effect profile. And nowadays, we have ones that have very, very little side effects, if none. So they don't dampen the immune system enough to to cause uh, problems with viruses, but they do help to reduce your eczema, which is remarkable.
0: That, that certainly is. We have about a minute left, and you mentioned um, how to take care of one's skin better, and that might help to reduce right. exacerbation.
2: That's right. So if you do have eczema, I would definitely recommend uh, moisturizing your skin and hydrating your skin. So not by drinking water, but by getting it from outside. So you want to fill up the tank. So we recommend bathing, so actual baths if you can, as much as possible. If you can, yeah. then maybe you do longer showers or warmer showers. to get the water in. But what's critical is to help to kind of seal all of that water in using uh, uh, some type of uh, a moisturizer or sealant so that that will keep the water levels high. If the water levels are high, then generally speaking, your skin will repair itself to a large degree. Now, despite that, however, pe- some people do need anti-inflammatories to help to dampen that immune system a little bit. The most recent ones that we have are absolutely incredible. You'll, you'll hear these names because They've just come out in the last uh, couple of years. The newest one is called Rinvo, R-I-N-V-O-Q. Absolutely amazing pill that you can take that does exactly that. It kind of reduces the inflammation without any of these side effects. It's not a steroid at all. So we call it JAK inhibitor. So think of just remember these names. You do have to get it prescribed by not just a, a physician, but a dermatologist, a skin expert. But now we have these things that can safely reduce the immune system.
0: And and I just want to, it reminds me how I treated my sons. I gave him Benadryl, <laughs> Benadryl. I put on steroidal cream oh. and put mittens on his hands three nights in a row, and it was gone. Never came back. <laughs> Never to yeah, return.
2: so so uh, that's good. For some people, it's much more aggressive than that. They right. they need yes. that, and so unfortunately, so fortunate we we, we can assess that. Yeah, we can we can now identify just, that and treat it.
0: Yeah. Sorry. we got to go in 10 seconds. Um, Dr. Rao, very interesting. I would love to get you back on the program. Thank Annie, you so much. Thank
2: you so much, Maureen. All the best, You're so everyone. welcome. You
0: too. Okay. November is Eczema Awareness Month. Don't forget that.
2: It's time for The
0: Bedroom Bulletin. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath. I guess I said uh, some of the warmer places earlier, <laughs> like Vancouver and Calgary. Um, I was thinking of those Chinooks, but you're right. Calgary is flipping freezing. I went there to speak one time, and and I was picked up at the at the airport by somebody, and I was expecting to fully well be dropped off at the hotel because I was sick when I arrived, and I just wanted to sleep until that evening when the talk was when the, when I was giving the talk. And uh, no, this person took me to the package store to pick up the liquor for the event. Pick me to a place to pick up the paper plates and all this stuff. I thought, what have I done? I was just getting sicker and sicker as the day wore on and um and it was freezing. there was a snow squall. it was just one of the worst days of my entire life and then when I and I expected nothing but it was actually a fabulous venue, beautiful event. I downed a bowl of hot hot macaroni and cheese and a glass of white wine and Deliver one of my best sex talks ever. But anyway, um, (laughs) looks like I got some competition out there. Tiffany Yelverton is an orgasm guru, a master sex coach, CEO, intimacy mentor, relationship expert. She's a sex toy specialist too, a speaker, trainer, thought leader, visionary, marriage savior, and an international businesswoman. And she mentors, I love this, (laughs) high-powered couples to connect sexually so that they can avoid infidelity and divorce. And she's gonna help you in this segment, about eight or nine minutes, to take your sex life from meh to marvelous. Good evening, Tiffany.
3: Hi Maureen. Thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. That's quite the resume you have there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm even intimidated. Okay. <laughs> Don't be and I'm intimidated. also cur- <laughs> 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 I'm also curious. <laughs> Takes a lot for to intimidate me. Anyway, um but I'm curious about the uh you mentor the high powered couples. How about those of us who are not high-powered couples? (laughs) Do the strategies work? The The strategies work for everyone. Excellent. Excellent. So so we've got about eight minutes here. How does one, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially in the pandemic, they are at home with the same person, you know, sex can become boring. The intimate life can fall off the table. People are wearing sweats. Um, you know, they're wearing much more comfortable clothing. They're not going out to work. It can be the same old, same old on steroids. How does one take their sex life from meh to marvelous?
3: Well, it has to be a conscious decision that you want to make it better and that you don't, you know, we all fall into those ruts, right? That it's like easy to wear the yoga pants all the time, but just little things can change it up, whether you wear it, even lingerie underneath your yoga pants—it makes you feel different yourself, and then your partner will react different to you as well. And you know, don't be afraid people, to oh, do something fun.
0: Exactly, do something. <laughs> this is what I have to say to patients in my clinical practice. Um, you know, a lot of people have gained a lot of weight. Uh, in the, in the pandemic, and that can lead to body image issues for men and for women. Um, is that a contributing factor for these meh sex lives that we have out
3: there? It is, because you have to love yourself first in order to feel sexy. And it's easy to get it in that habit of, oh, I don't like myself. I don't like my body. I don't want to be naked, so I don't want to have sex. But then that also then lowers your libido because you're not getting the endorphins and the hormones and the chemicals that come from pleasure.
0: Right. And so to want it, to go from meta to marvelous, you got to have sex to actually release those yes. endorphins feel great. That's an absolutely great point. Now, um, I see that your first and foremost skill is an orgasm guru. Tell me a little bit about that. How does how do you define that?
3: Well, I used to never have an orgasm when I was having sex, and I thought something was desperately wrong with me, and I thought I wanted more sex, but I found out that I wasn't having orgasms, and I really wanted better sex, and so I took myself on a journey to learn what that meant and to train my body to have orgasms and multiple orgasms every time I'm with, playing with myself or with a partner. And so now I take women through that same journey and it's all, you know, it's not just one thing. It's not get out of your head. It's not, you know, you have to feel sexy. It's mentally and emotionally and biological and physical. I mean, there's so
0: much that is involved. I mean, relaxation and breathing. There's just so Mm -hmm. much to it. Do you have a bit of a formula? I mean, a lot of women don't even know if they've ever had an orgasm. Right. I mean, isn't that that that
3: insane? And like, I didn't. I didn't. I thought I was having a lot of great sex, but I wasn't. I just wasn't ever satisfied. I didn't know I wasn't orgasming. And so learning what that feels like. And yes, my 12 week course does take women through all of those parts. A lot of breathing and pelvic exercises and learning how to move and learning positions that are better for your body and, Love, you know, the first exercise I take women through is you have to look at yourself and love yourself and thank your body for being there for you. And it's so powerful to say, look in a full length mirror, naked, and to look at those things that you consider flaws that are actually the roadmap of what your life is and what your body's been through. Hmm. Hell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> got a have a glass of wine or a bath, you know, <laughs> beforehand. And just, you know, i it's really, I work a lot with cancer survivors. And mm. that's something that when they have finished treatment, their bodies are usually different than they were prior to treatment and prior to cancer. And to learn to love that new body that, is still there for them because a lot of can a lot of people don't survive cancer and that to be thankful for what they have and that their body is just a new beautiful
0: exactly and a lot of women uh post-cancer will experience especially if they have reproductive cancers will experience mm-hmm. changes to the vagina the vaginal yes. wall And, um, and so it's very important and they'll, they'll experience significant dryness and pain. So it's very important to get that treated And there are treatments in personal moisturizers, whether they're hormone free or contain small amounts of hormone and also vaginal dilators as well. Um, what else I want to ask you about? Okay. So you, you do it. First of all, you didn't know that you didn't know if you
3: were orgasming or not. Is that what you said? That's what I, yeah, when back in my mid twenties I didn't know I wasn't orgasming. I thought, Oh, I'm having, you know, pleasurable sex. I just wasn't ever satisfied and one of my girlfriends once was like, Are you sure she's like, I don't think you're having an orgasm and then when I started to realize that I wasn't, I was like, Oh, this is life changing. Why don't we teach every woman about this? Right, exactly. Because a lot of
0: a lot of people out there will say, you know, the orgasm's not important, it's the journey. You know, forget it. It's the destination that's very important. so I appreciate that you say um, the urn orgasm guru. Um, but you also mentor high powered couples um, to connect sexually because would you say that um, you want you want them to avoid you know the goal here is to avoid infidelity and ultimately divorce, which can have such a negative impact on the family. Um, do high powered
3: couples have more of a tendency toward infidelity? don't know if they have more tendency towards infidelity but because usually they have more stress in their lives Mm -hmm. or and it's you know that really high a personality and so a high-powered couple can be whether it's military or firefighters or first responders it doesn't just have to be like executives in high power but because those Careers that where you're always on mm-hmm. and always like sailing and, and, and never turned on. And okay. never you never get to sink into your body because you're always putting on that power for something else.
0: Ah, I see. And so just quickly, what does that involve? I mean we don't would go through the whole twelve week. Is there a twelve week course for that as well or um you know, That's usually kind of more the,
3: the... one-on-one coaching because everybody's okay. situation's a little bit different.
0: Right. And so what are some of the key points, the commonalities that you see amongst these high-powered couples?
3: It's to really go back to, and this was for when, when I was working with couples even in during the pandemic too, is go back to when you were dating and when you were having that honeymoon period where it was fun and that, it was easy and you wanted to be together and you planned out time to have sex because you went on a date you know a lot of times we think oh well that's not sexy to put sex on the calendar or pencil it in but otherwise we get really stuck in our lives and especially high power couples that have a lot of go- going on that you put everything else first besides your
0: relationship Exactly. And, you know, the thing about the high-powered couples in no time, they're they're in a high stress level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, they are the adrenaline, they might be adrenaline junkies, it's go, go, right. go. You know, they might do everything to the nth degree. Um, and there may also, you know, from that time of dating and dreamy, and this is going to be amazing, you know, a lot may have occurred along the way, like infidelity. So how do you advise...
3: Absolutely couples to get over that I don't know if you'll if if you can really ever get over infidelity mm-hmm. but I try to work with my couples to look at what they want in the future not of what was happened in the past because we can't change that the things that have happened in the past have happened and Absolutely. there may always be hard feelings there but let's try to move forward and i do Mm -hmm. use techniques like eft emotional freedom technique and tapping Mm -hmm. to really clear out those hurts and traumas from the cellular level and to reprogram but just to you know say okay what's the end goal what what would this look like paint the picture of what your life wants what you want it to be in the future and Mm -hmm. let's strive for that and let's take the baby steps to get there And what do you think of people, you know,
0: taking a look at themselves and seeing how they may have contributed? Like, you know, I have couples in my clinical practice. I mean, it's been seven years. It's been no sex. You know, I'm amazed at the ones who have not gone outside of the marriage. And maybe they don't want to tell me. But, um, you know, many have and they feel tremendous guilt. Um, But, you know, when you are in a relationship that is devoid of intimacy, that is devoid of sex, that is devoid of pleasure, um, sometimes people have no choice. I'm not condoning infidelity, but, but it does happen. And, and there are contributing factors, um, even from the person who didn't cheat, it's from the person who was cheated on. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Absolutely, I 100% agree. There's, it's always, it's never just one thing. And that, you know, I'll talk to a lot of couples and they'll, the woman will go, well, I don't feel like having sex because I'm not getting my needs met of being cherished and loved and the security that then sex sometimes can become a bargaining chip. And right. then that is re- really why most people have infidelity is because they're not getting their needs met in the first place. So whether it's an emotional infidelity or a physical infidelity, a lot of women now, just as many women are having outside relationships as men.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's probably, we'd probably close the gender gap on that. Tiffany Yelverton, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. How would somebody get in touch with you? Should they like to seek your orgasm guru services or your mentorship of
3: high-powered couples? They can go to EnticeMe.com or follow us on social media at dot entice Me EnticeMe.com?
0: That's a great dot EnticeMe.com, yes. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program, Tiffany. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath here. Mark Smith is my guest. He's a clinical social worker and family therapist. He joins me on the line. I specifically invited him on to talk about coping after tragedy. Good evening, Mark. Hey, Maureen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good. Um, listen, I, as you are well aware of the unspeakable tragedy, the accidental death of a brilliant cinematographer. She was a rising star in the industry and a, and a lovely person, apparently. Um, crew, film sets often have six, seven, eight hundred people on them. Uh, this is an accidental death. It sounds like safety protocols weren't followed. Um, and uh, many, many people are going to suffer as a result yep. of this. Yep. Uh, you heard, I don't know if you were listening earlier, Bruce Bronstein, the locations manager, said people will never get over this.
3: Yep. Um,
0: is, in your experience, um, that's my only question that I have for you, is will people, you know, Alec Baldwin, the the assistant director who handed him the gun, um, the other producers, people invested in the film, the crew, the the camera people, Will these the people who witnessed it and saw it, the people who attended to Helena Hutchinson, her family, her son, her husband, mother, father? Right. Will these can these people possibly get over this?
4: Well, I, I mean, I think the good news is that um, people can get through and get over tragic and traumatic events. Um, the not so good news is that it varies from person to person, depending on. Their resiliency, depending on their level of differentiation of self, depending on how they address the trauma, um, how how soon after they're able to talk about it, who's safe to talk to—all those things are really important. Um, I've you know I've worked with families and individuals in therapy who have uh, gone through a tragic experience, and I've done critical incident stress de- debriefings with uh, workplaces where there's been a tragedy, and. Um, You know, there are ways of doing it that are helpful and there are ways of doing it that aren't so helpful. So it really depends on who those people access. But, you know, the emotional shockwave, as you just described, will, you know, will ripple out and and go on for months, if not years.
0: It it certainly will. And, you know, people don't expect to go to work and and, uh, not to come home or to get a call saying that your wife has been killed in this manner. Um, you know, it's just so, so incredibly tragic. And I do feel terribly, you know, for Alec Baldwin, who did not do this intentionally, but was, you know, but, you know, I have to say there, they, they have to feel some, dare I say, responsibility or guilt for the fact that protocols were not followed. It just does not sound as though protocols were followed. I shouldn't say allegedly they weren't followed. Somebody who should not have been handling that gun hands it to an actor, you know, I, I've been on film sets. I understand yeah. the protocols. You know, they go through the protocols, even though they seem ridiculous because they repeat the same protocols over and over again. But they there's a reason it's effective. Those people's lives are at, are at stake. But in this case, people's physical lives, um, yeah. senseless deaths, and now emotional and mental health issues. Will this carry on uh, for people? Will people suffer PTSD?
4: yeah. Uh, certainly, people experience P- PTSD even when it's a one time event like this. And certainly, this is a very uh, serious kind of um, event. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, the, the ripple effect, as I talked about, would be just second guessing oneself or second guessing the safety of the environment. Um, you know, every time somebody goes on set, you know, it's like the person that's been in a car accident. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get back into the car for some people to not feel like you know, something's going to happen and can they really trust themselves? Can they trust the person who's driving? And, you know, certainly there are a place, you know, there are therapists that people can talk to and therapies that can help with that. Um, although sometimes it's just talking to the people in your family or the people that are close to you that you trust and to be able to talk it out and talk it out and talk it out. Um, if you remember back in the eighties,
0: you know what, Mark, um, Can we save that for next week? I'd love to have you back on next week and we'll delve into this much deeper um, because we've just got about 30 seconds to go. Thank you So so much. All great points. Yeah, talk to, find somebody to talk to that is safe, and that would be the way you're Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, at hotmail.com and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.